This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, despite other things, is still 100% fully franked. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Nirvan Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? G'day, Captain. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. And your good self? I'm very good. I'm like an avocado today. You're like, like an, an avocado. avocado. Ripe, overripe, not yet ripe. Uh, Very expensive. What are you? Where are you going with you? Smashed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you've turned up at nine thirty in the morning, smashed, mate. We have got some issues. So I'll assume uh, you're not a smashed avo. Uh, I'm almost smashed. Almost. <laughs> you, you've given away the lead beautifully, mate. So we are going. To, well, I mentioned the Frankie. We're going to talk about ANZ, the first bank in I don't know how long to not pay a one hundred percent fully frank dividend. We'll talk about that. That was brand new breaking news this morning. Of course, Jerome Powell, the U.S. Fed chair doing his best Phil Lowe impersonation and cutting rates, I think, for the third time. We'll talk about ANZ's dividend, as I said. We'll talk about the supermarket wars and who's winning that particular race and whether or not there's an economic crash around the corner. But we've got a very, very big podcast and, importantly, we've got a special guest. For the first time in a very, very long time, we have a special guest, one of our foolish... I was going to say alumni, but he's a current colleague, Ed Vesely, who runs Motley Fool Dividend Investor and works with me on Motley Fool Everlasting Income. You also run Motley Fool Hidden Gems. G'day, Ed. G'day. It's good to be here. You've come down from Brisbane, which is nice. Thank you for doing that. It's actually warmer down here today. (laughs) Of course it is, mate. Very smoky, so delayed getting here. Of course it is, mate. Queensland's beautiful one day, but New South Wales is always better than next, I think what's fair to say. That's right. It's uh, <laughs> Anyway, it's good to be here. It's uh, a bit hot and sweaty at the moment, but uh, well, let's get on with it. Very good. We're looking forward to hearing your insights in a minute. Doc, back to you, though, first. And we start, as we always do, with the macro. Big, so it was a big news morning this morning. The, our colleagues in the US talk about the news fairy kind of turning up and dropping some news. We've had a couple of big bits of news overnight. The first was, I think you tweeted it, like, or sorry, Skype this like 3.30 in the morning because you obviously can't sleep, uh, that Jerome Powell had, again, for I think the third time, cut U.S. interest rates. Is this the U.S. Fed trying to get ahead of some problems? Is this Jerome Powell finally caving to the tweet storm that is Donald Trump? Or is something else going on in the U.S. economy that we need to know about and frankly be worried about? So I'm going to first clarify that I was not up at 3 o'clock trying to figure out what... close. Oh, well, no, no. I was up at, at, at 3.30, but I was not up to see what Jerome Powell was doing. <laughs> it wasn't just, just about the Fed, is that what you're telling no, us? No, it was not okay. about the Fed. So so this cut was almost like, you know, as they say, guaranteed to happen because that was the market was saying that's going to happen. I hate that. And, and all those predicting people, people who predict these things, so they, you know, it was like almost a 90% dead given, giveaway. Um, the, and, you know, the, the Fed does an interesting thing. The Fed does this thing called dot plots, which basically oh, says what they thinking about the rates going ahead so this was almost again a giveaway <laughs> on that on, on that front yeah. like uh, what is it trying to do i mean again the u.s economy is pretty strong um you know the, the the growth has slowed down but you know the growth over you know when you do this growth over you know year over year growth but if the past year's growth was pretty strong then mm-hmm. you, you kind of get a little less growth this year but mm-hmm. i mean it's still pretty good um, unemployment levels are pretty low. Um, inflation, I think, has started seeing some uptake. So all of those things are a tick on his box. I think. So it, tell me why the hell rates are going. I, well, I can't it, understand this for the yeah, life of me. Yeah. So I think it makes a lot of sense, though. Like, I mean, uh-huh. uh, unlike uh, unlike I'll say what I completely disagree with the low E rate cuts, which I think are completely unnecessary. <laughs> um, we now among among the developed countries are one of the lowest interest rate regimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. actually was very smart, uh, or the U.S. Fed was extremely smart to actually raise the rates quickly. And, you know, their rates after cut is going to be in a range. They do a range between 1.5 and 1.75. And mm-hmm. ours sits at, what, 0.5 now or something like that, right? Enough, yes. 
So, like, you know, we are basically close to zero. They've, got, they've still got ammunition, and they basically indicated that, you know, we don't, we are going to basically held, hold steady. And the reason for cut is basically saying there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, you know, a lot of other places are not growing. Uh, uh, you know, there's anemic growth out of the out out of um, Europe. There is, uh, you know, China is has uh, seen growth slow down. Even the, in a place like India, which is supposed to be a growth engine for some time, has you know actually the growth has substantially slowed down. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of risks to uh, I guess their economy from external issues, and which is why I think you know they're basically I think being a little cautious here. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know. I, I think you know, reserving some firepower at this point, and you know, making sure that their economy keeps ticking at a good pace. I think you know, to me, this looks like a very sensible thing to do. I couldn't disagree with you more. I understand the sensibility. I understand the they're higher than we are. I get all that stuff. I just I, there is the US is arguably the world's strongest economy, and yet they're cutting interest rates. I I think, and I, I you and I have slightly different views on on low, but not not dramatically different. My view on Powell is I think he's just absolutely caved into pressure slash fear of what might possibly happen down the track. I just think when your rates are already at very low levels, we're talking about two, less than 2%, uh, to, to have to cut further because something might possibly happen, I kind of, that's, that's the problem with central banks, right? If, you, if everything was always, well, something might, bad might happen, well, let's go into red zero and just, you know, just in case something bad happens. At some point, you've got to say, well, we are you know, very, very, very well off economically. We're very well off financially. Now, there is, of course, there are. Is 2% a particularly unattractive, too high rate to take into that sort of environment? No, I think if you, if you end up with those problems and you do cut rates at the point when you need to, this preemptive cutting from, I mean, arguably, you've got to say, well, they obviously push rates up too high, so maybe they made, made a mistake and they're correcting for that. Other than that, I just I don't see the clouds on the horizon. You know, there's always risks, there's always concerns, there's always downside potential. That's true no matter what rates are, no matter where the economy is, whether it's growing at 1% or 5%, there's always a risk around the corner. That can't surely be a rationale for, for cutting rates. If, if the presence of risk is a reason for cut rates, well, you might as well give up and tackle central bankers and go back to zero rates, right? Well, I, I disagree with you. I think, you know, uh, as, as I said, I would if I had to do a trade, I would go short, low, long, Powell. I think this is very data-driven um, at this point. I think, again, I think what... I think I, I would say they have a sensibly increased rates, which gives them the firepower to do something if necessary. You know, I agree with you to that and, point. And, I think my, my point is I don't think it's necessary yet. That's, I guess, what, I agree with you. They've, they've done the right well, thing. Look, look at the rate differential, right? I mean, uh, our rates are 0.5. Their rates mm. are around 1.75, right? Yeah. They've got plenty of firepower. Oh, totally. And then maybe they went a little too far ahead. In a low interest rate environment, the whole world is going to be low interest rate environment. Um, I think what they've figured is, you know, maybe somewhere around the 1.5 is okay for them, right? And I think maybe there's rationale in doing that. So maybe this is a way for them to find an appropriate rate, mm. right? In, uh, you know, in uh, uh, in computing, you would find this by, it's called, you know, it's like a search method. You know, you go and up and you went down and you're trying to find, <laughs> right, you're basically right. trying to find a sweet spot, yeah. which might be a sensible strategy to do. Again, you know, time will tell, right? Um, yeah, so I think the rates are, are pretty okay. The economy is pretty good. And I find no fault with the strategy. That means I'm right and you're wrong as always. <laughs> I'm, I'm <kidding. laughs> let's, let's move on, shall we? Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. So this week, speaking of news, the smashed avo boom may finally be over, at least for the company that sells most of the avocados and I think most of the blueberries, strawberries, mushrooms and assorted other fruit and veg into our supermarkets. Costa Group, relatively new to the ASX. It's, uh, (laughs) well... Four profit downgrades in a row is not exactly flash. 
They had to raise more capital. It was about a third of the um, a third of the available share count that was previously there. So they've now diluted massively. Profits are going to be lower. This is all looking pretty ugly. The shares fell about 35-ish percent, I think, when the shares were re-traded, re-admitted for trading on Thursday. We're recording this on Friday morning. Is this is this the inevitable end of a smashed avo boom? Uh, of course, the company was blaming the drought, soft pricing, threw kind of the kitchen sink at it. What's actually going on? Um, well, I did my bit. You know, we always have an avocado, <laughs> and uh, I have, have two, <laughs> mate. One for you, one for the country. Come well, on. well, actually, Costa, uh, uh, actually, we have two. <laughs> <laughs> so my two is not helping, and we love blueberries. Um, Good. Uh, so we're doing, and, and we love bananas too. Um, uh, yeah, I think the problem is very simple here. Um, it, I think they did get hit by weather. I mean, the drought is, they're not making up drought. I mean, the drought is a reality, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but I think there's another aspect to this, right? I think the market at, you know, and this is easy for me to say because I have the full hindsight benefit right now. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll add that, you know, hindsight is always 2020. Yes. But I mean, the thing is that after all, Costa is basically selling commodity goods which for which is going to get commodity prices. Yep. So, I mean, at some point, this thing was priced as if it's like a tech company which owns its destiny. It doesn't own it. It, it basically basically does not own its destiny. because AAS Fruit and Vegetables as a service. Yeah. So, it does not own its destiny because it, you know, it, it is not selling to enterprises, selling to customers. It needs to, you know, it depends on what the price for those, you know, it's a price taker, right? Right, right. So, it was at selling at some point at some ridiculous PE which was not sustainable. It had debt, right? Right. So it, it's the antithesis of a capital light business. It's a capital heavy business. <laughs> and uh, it just, the timing was bad, I think. So so it. Mate, in we another, have soft driving blueberries. We'll be fine. They'll make a fortune. In, in another version of the world, right? <laughs> in another version of the world, if there was no yeah. drought, this would have been just fine. Well, that's the other thing, right? This wasn't just the drought. They, 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 I mean, look, it was a recommendation of ours at Share Advisor. We had recommended it in part because we expected it's, you know, it's invested a whole lot of like hundreds of million dollars in growth. So it was supposed to be, in theory, if not drought-proof, at least have different areas that it was growing these things in different parts of the country and also overseas. They were trying to become much, much bigger. I think, you know, to your point, in a parallel universe, that those those investments have paid off. The business is selling, you know, it's selling in manufacturing or growing in China and Morocco, I think, from memory. I mean, this was going to be, and may still be, of course, a multinational multi-regional, multi-seasonal, to throw some more multis in there, fruit and vegetable business that was supposed to be, again, nothing proof, but if those investments had paid off, we could well be looking at a higher price than even its you know, recent peaks. Uh, I, I don't dis- that's come true. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree with you at yeah. all. Uh, however, from my sample size of two, exactly two. Both the avocados? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. So I'm two companies. <laughs> One Costa, the other being Experience Co. I am really wary of a company which says, I am exposed to the elements. I'm exposed to everything that the economy can throw at you. Right. I'm going to diversify somehow. <laughs> it kind of doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's my from sample space of okay. two. I, you know, I'm just like a little wary of these things when they say, you know. Uh, but uh, but I think, you know, it's a combination. Of, I think p- paying a little too much for having debt. You know, if you have debt, then, you know, your debt covenants are at risk. Therefore, you have to do an equity raise, all of those mm-hmm. sort of things. And just bad timing, right, yeah. I think, yeah. That's my thoughts. Do you, do you think a business like this is uninvestable because of that variability? Or is it a question of what investors have to expect or how much they should pay? How Again, with the benefit of hindsight, and I'll take some I'll take some advice from you here because we've made this mistake and we're down on our recommendation. How would you view Costa moving forward given the benefit of that hindsight? Well, this is a hard one. So I personally try to stay away from businesses like this, largely because mm-hmm. I think the predictability factor is um, – it's basically unpredictable to some extent, right? And, uh, you know, I also don't, 
I subscribe to a thesis of a brand, but I don't subscribe to a thesis of like selling brand Australia. I know you you subscribe to that thesis. I, do. I don't subscribe to that thesis largely because I think not on fresh, by the way. That's a different. Question. Yeah, but, but I think that just it's it's a little harder to sell country as a brand. It's mm-hmm. easier to create a brand and sell a brand. So I mean, I can see how Australian companies can create brand like an A two. Well, it's a Kiwi company. We'll call it Australian. Well, yeah, you know, Bellamy's and so on. Like you know, you Crowded can create. House. You know, but it's <laughs> commodity good on which you are creating a brand, yeah. right? And I think yeah. you can create a brand. So if you've got a brand. And it's distinguishable. I think that that works. Now, I don't know whether Costa would have a brand, right? Because Costa is basically selling fruit. So I think that's the problem, number one. Um, So I wouldn't say it's, look, I wouldn't say it's uninvestable, but I think if you invest at the right price, (laughs) which is really hard to figure out, but you know, when the last downgrade came, I thought that was a good price, right? Mm. I, I did actually Me think too. at that, and I, and I think on this podcast itself, I said, oh, you know, it looks like a good price now. Good, I blame uh, you for the last four months. Uh, right. So now I can again say, well, it looks like a good price, but, um, you, you know, what if the drought continues, right? I mean, again, yeah. it's just hard to know. Um, it's... You know, the type of businesses I like, you know, every month somebody pays you, you the money comes into your pocket mm-hmm. and there is, you know, the same customers pay you more next month. I'll happily pay up for those businesses because I think for those ones, are, for those ones to go pear-shaped, mm-hmm. something really bad needs to happen in the world. When the, something bad in the world happens, well, we're all anyways dead. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Hopefully not literally dead, but you know. Kind of, kind of. In my version, dead. Like, I mean, you know, like, we're, 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 you know, yeah. When, and anything wrong less than 40% is dead to you, right? Is that, is that still the... Benchmark? Yeah, except it doesn't apply to certain companies. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about the fruit co- The other fruit company that you prefer. I don't think you like fruit companies. We'll have to make an allowance. Yeah, I, I, like, I like fruit names. <laughs> <laughs> we are, of course, for those who are listening to the podcast who haven't heard Doc rant about Apple yet. You must have only joined us in the last two days. Uh, but <laughs> Apple is Apple is never a rant. He wears us down. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <With> Apple. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, this week too, we had the Battle of the Supermarkets deliver their most recent set of blows. And this was a pretty comprehensive win for Woolworths. We saw Coles with same-store sales growth of 0.1% and Woolies with, catch this, same store sales growth. I actually had to check this twice. Of six point six percent. I checked that twice too. That is a shellacking. <laughs> that is like that is a literal shellacking. Um, I don't remember a gap this big. Maybe I'm, maybe I've got a short memory, but I don't remember a, a same store sales number being that high, just in at all. And then the gap between the two companies, effectively the six point five percent, take six point six, take off point one for Coles. Um, either this is the top of the cycle for Woolies and the bottom for Coles, or it is the beginning of what is probably a, a resurgence or a, or a re-emergence of Woolworths dominance they had for about a decade, decade and a half back in the air quotes good old days when Woolies was just absolutely streeting the field. What's happening here, mate? Is this is this a resurgence of Woolies or is this is this just a, a cyclical issue of Coles cycling on good sales from last year and Woolies doing the reverse and just the numbers look better than perhaps they are? You know, I didn't. I looked at the headline numbers, and you know, I find that number actually crazy. Um, so, so I have a theory here, and I'm going to just pass it on. My theory is that you know, if I sell you something, do with Apple, mate. I'm not going to listen. To no, it's not. It's got right. nothing to do with Apple. So <laughs> suppose I'm suppose I'm going to sell you something that's worth actually a dollar for fifty cents. My that's sales can actually 
you'll take it and the sales might grow rapidly. <laughs> Maybe that's what's happening here. Maybe, you know, Woolies is basically discounting stuff rapidly and it's going to show up in margins, right? This mar- so you can grow sales, your margins could compress. Maybe, you know, you lose customers and then you hope that you can jack up the price at a later point. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, like, you know, Ed and you guys are experts in this. Thing. This, is, this is like dividend territory. All right, but before we do, do you have a view on the on the supermarket wars? Are you are you pro Coles, pro Woolies? Do you think they're going to, is a resurgence of the cycle mean reversion? Is this a, a new future for Woolies? Where, where, how, are you, how are you seeing the industry? You know, I have a slight bias towards uh, Woolies okay. because they let me load their Woolies reward card onto my Apple Watch. <laughs> this is how I exactly shop, okay? And they were first to do that and Coles hasn't yet figured out. And they've gained your loyalty as a result, have they? They've gained my But I still try to give Coles some business. because Just to keep I, them hungry? Well, you know, you, the thing is that, you know, they're both in my in a mall near my house, right? <laughs> or my unit. Yeah. And what I w- don't want is one of them to close. I so see. I try to give them some business. I see. But I have my loyalties are towards uh, <laughs> Woolies. Whoever's very, on the Apple Watch. Exactly. And, and this is, you know, Cole, CEO, if you're listening, get on that bandwagon. You're like, you're, you're really behind. That's right. There's a whole lot of cult members. I mean, I mean, Apple fans who want to uh, use their Apple watches to scan their Woolworths cards. And Cole's cards. Or something. Ed, I'm going to ask you the same question, mate. You've, you've followed the supermarket game for a very, very long time. Your thoughts on the Woolies versus Cole's dynamic. What's actually going on under the hood here? Do we, do we, do we foresee a, a new future for Woolies or is this one of those one-off numbers that maybe belies the reality of a closer competition than it appears? Well, it's, it's, it's been that way if you go right back to the, the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, it was always Woolies or Coles, Coles or Woolies. True. It, it'd be some sort of you know, toing and froing with market share and earnings growth and all the rest. But look, uh, today you've really got Audi has taken 10% of the uh, of the grocery market in mm-hmm. Australia. Kaufland uh, coming. Kaufland Costco's is coming. Here. There's Costco. We've yep. just become a member ourselves at Costco. We go. do see um, there's a lot of good value there for particular items, which we no longer need. As from, long as you buy them in bulk, mate. As long as you buy well, them by the, the tunnel, the, the, the semi-trailer load, you can make a fortune saving money at Costco. We're a family of four, so we've okay. got we're, no problems with that. So we do buy the bulk. Toilet paper we've got plenty of paper towels there that last us till next year. Peanut butter and... <laughs> Uh, we're also saving on fuel, so that's another. Okay, that's okay. Costco. But look, right. um, with with the situation with Coles and Woolies, um, well, first of all, the 0.1 percent growth is that the figure I saw? Yes, Coles comps of 0.1. They're I'll, barely, barely positive. I'll just say, no wonder Wes Farmers uh, wanted to flick it. I think they've still got a 15 <laughs> percent shareholding in it, but that's I think true. that'll probably be sold down in due course. Mm. Um, look, it's pretty tough, and I, I think um, with Woolworths, that's an amazing result, but I don't think that can be sustained. Of course, we should say we should define our terms here. Same store sales measures the store the sales growth for stores that have been open for at least one year. So excludes any acquisitions, any new stores, any closed stores. It's supposed to give us a health of the existing businesses. How you know how well are the existing stores doing year on year? And they add back, of course, the, the uh, additions and closures for the total numbers. But same store sales for those who watch retail and who pay attention is the metric to care about. Although, as Doc says, obviously you want to be a little bit careful of margins as well. Just a top line sales number is not enough if you're having to give away money to make it work. And just on that point with Audi too, um, it's got that competitive advantage in the sense that its stores are much uh, smaller. Mm-hmm. So the rents that they're paying are a lot lower. And of course, they've got m- many, well, they've got a number of products, but they're fewer products compared to, say, what Coles and Woolies are selling. So they've got those supply arrangements there. They've got lower costs. You don't need 10 bottles of sauce. Or, um, unless, free- you're, unless you're at Costco, which have, you buy them in of one, course. one carton. <laughs> of course. But then they've got that cost advantage. And there was um, a funny term a number of years ago, I'd read that. Uh, Whenever there was an Audi store that was opening up somewhere mm-hmm. close to a, a Coles or a Woolies in a certain geography, it was called the Audi Blast Zone. <laughs> and uh, I think that's because loyalty isn't what it used to be, the, the frequent flyer points that you can get through Woolworths now via the, the Woolies card. Right. 
uh, flybys. Uh, we'll, we've got those, but we Aldi don't. don't take Doc's Apple Watch, mate. I've looked at the Apple Watch. We're on a tangent here. But, well, uh, I'm saying if Aldi, if Aldi don't take Apple Watch, Doc can't shop. Doesn't it. doesn't do anything. I think what <laughs> look out. I, it, it just, so you can't I'm see on this dangerous is the podcast, right? Yeah, it says that does nothing. Doc looked at him with daggers that I swear to God <laughs> I, would kill had, had had they been real. Coming, but I was coming back to retail. <laughs> that's what oh, I was going. Come back to Apple. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm sure everything will, will come back to Apple. <laughs> and, and I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I know. I was contemplating a, an, an iWatch a few weeks ago, and I I lost the thought. But coming back to groceries, that's the point I was trying to make. I'll try to get to that. Yeah, so this Audi Blast Zone, which is a very good, um, uh, I suppose, uh, point of difference. It it shows uh, that there is an economic impact uh, for Coles and Woolies and, of course, the other smaller retailers as well, the IGA uh, types as well. So they're all suffering. And uh, with competition coming in, um, and coming back to loyalty, that was the point I was going to make, you've got... Really, no loyalty. Um, I think what people are looking for, and I think uh, Unless Audi, you have the Apple Watch. Maybe. But what Audi a- demonstrates, <laughs> what Audi demonstrates is that there's disloyalty to a, a good deal and good value groceries. All right. So you've, you've, them's fighting words. I'm going to step away from the, uh, the, the phone hardware slash wearables war for a second. If I asked you gentlemen to buy the shares of the Australian operations of Aldi, Costco, Woolworths, or Coles, which would you buy, Doc? I'll buy Aldi. <laughs> if I, could, I would also say Aldi, but you can't. It's private. There you go. Unfortunately. I will, I will I will break the tie. Luckily, my votes count for three. So Woolworths is the winner here with three votes. I'm kidding. I, I would actually I, – I think, you know, I think I'd buy Costco. I think I'd buy Costco. Costco is good too. Poor, poor Bullies and Coles. I do like Did, the international business, by the way. There was a statistic. It opened in China recently, mm. and uh, it got so busy in the morning they had to close the car park. There they had go. sold – I've forgotten the number. It was millions of memberships. I saw that too. Memberships in, in one morning. Yeah. I think Aldi, t- uh, so Costco too, is the largest diamond seller, if I'm correct, in the US. We saw a $150,000 diamond there the other day. Did you buy it? No. <laughs> Poor wife. G'day, Justine, by the way, if you're listening. Ed is going to, on the way home and from she, the airport, buy you that diamond ring. Just she, stand by the door. Ed will be home soon, and I'm sure on the way home. And she listens to this be, every week. I know. That's what I'm saying. So, mate, good on you for offering. We'll, we'll check in next week. Just make sure you actually come good on that promise. Justine, congratulations. If, if nothing, at least buy her the Apple Watch. Oh, well, you know, as I say, we're, we're contemplating the watch. We might come back to that thought. We're moving on. We will. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of, I don't know what he says, trying to struggle for a segue. The big news I mentioned at the top of the show, probably this has got ramifications that are probably larger for most Australian investors than anything else we've talked about, and probably anything for weeks, I want to say, on the ASX, if you separate some of the big macro news. ANZ is the first bank in I don't know how many years, and I'd almost say decades, I think, um, probably not since the depths of the 1990s recession, so we're talking a long time now, has cut the franking on its dividend. Now, the actual dividend in cents per share hasn't changed, it's dead flat, which is Either not great if you want growth or at least better than you expected if you thought it was going to be cut. The big surprise for me, at least, I think for most market watchers, is the franking credits are being cut from 100% to 70%. Now, that doesn't change the amount of cash you get from the company, but it does change the tax benefit you get from the ATO. You've got to pay more tax on an 80 cent dividend franked at 70% than if it was 100% franked. Now, that's kind of a big disruption, right? The bank shares were supposed to be the retiree's best friend, the income investor's best friend, the, the stocks that you wanted to own because, hey, how could you not get a 5 five and a half, six 6% dividend plus franking credits? It was the best deal going, according to some people. Now, fair to say, Doc, you and I have been 
if not bearish, at least a little bit cautious about bank stocks. We've kind of on this podcast tried to say to people, please don't think you're buying safe stocks or high income stocks or anything else. We've talked about income in a much broader way and we've talked about some other companies. You're not a big income investor, of course, but we've talked a little bit about the dangers of those. So hopefully some of our listeners have paid attention. But while we've got Mr. Income, Ed Vesely, with us today, I, Doc, I love your insights and feel free to jump in at the end if you want, but I'm going to direct this one to Ed. I have no insights on ANZ. <laughs> We're going to fix that in, in uh, post and there'll be no insights on Apple. We'll just get Will to do some changes. Um, <laughs> no, it, it won't happen. Uh, Ed, this is this is kind of, uh, I don't want to overstate it, but it's kind of pretty seismic news, right, for income investors who are used to relying on their bank stocks. They kind of came to terms with the fact that the dividends weren't going up in a hurry, but they at least felt like their franking was safe and they could pretty much trust the, the, the income flow, the tax-effective income flow from those franking credits. What's going on in banking land? Well, I'll... Um I think you'll, you'll accuse me of stating the obvious here, but they, they didn't have the... Uh, <laughs> Mate, that's my job around here. They didn't have the uh, tax to earn the franking credits in the first place, or they've run out of franking credits, or they've had a reduced number of franking credits <laughs> on the balance sheet, so they've had less to distribute. But right. Now, just- I'm not going to get too wonky here, but I do want to break that down a little sure. bit. So, for people who are listening who don't necessarily get exactly how this works, a franking credit is effectively a paper credit that reflects the amount of tax that a bank or any company has paid the government already, and they're allowed to distribute those credits to their shareholders. So if I've paid, let's, let's make the numbers easy because it saves my, my brain from hurting too much. If I make 100 bucks in profit, I'm going to pay the government 30 bucks in tax at a 30% corporate tax rate. And so I've got 70 bucks left over. I pay all that out as dividends. And I say to the shareholders, hey, here's your 70 bucks worth of dividends. Plus, here's the credits for the tax I've already paid on your behalf. And you can use those to offset your tax you'd otherwise have to pay the government. Right? That much is hopefully relatively straight clear if I've explained it well enough. But if you have a hundred bucks, or if you have seventy bucks worth of dividends to pay out, but you haven't paid as much tax, that thirty dollars in tax hasn't been paid. You simply don't have the accrued franking credits. You can't give it out. So this is not so much a company decision as a simple economic reality, right? You can't give away what you don't have. The Australian government's not going to let you give away franking credits that you haven't paid tax for. So in this case, they're pretty much bound by the reality of, hey, we haven't paid this much tax, and so we've got the cash to give you. We just can't pass on those franking credits because the cupboard's bare. That's right. Uh, it's, if you go to the other extreme, you can look at a company like CSL, which has the vast majority of its earnings from overseas. It right. doesn't. It used to have frank dividends mm-hmm. way back in the nineties, but um, its earnings are now in US dollars, and it doesn't pay any franking credits whatsoever. I'll just to take you up, you up on that point with um, the bank. Now, ANZ have cut the the um, the franking credit levels, but yes. I do remember the National Australia Bank did have less than one hundred percent franked dividends for a period in the two thousands. Can't remember go. exactly when, okay. but. That was when, of course, that's what you're the income expert makes. I had no memory of that. Well, I used to own the shares, and um, a long time ago, they they actually, of course, uh, have moved out. They had uh, UK operations. They had um, operations in the US, mm-hmm. and um, they went there to conquer the world, and they came back with the tail between their legs. Yes, for both places, it turns. They've out. reduced the size of that business. So, just with National Bank, yes, it was paying out. I can't remember the exact. A ratio, but it was something less than 100%, 70 or 80%. And uh, it's now back to 100% because it's all of its earnings predominantly are in Australia. There's a little bit in New Zealand as well. But mm-hmm. uh, with ANZ, it's the same situation now. There's uh, not, it's not so much with the source of the earnings, but the, the amount of tax that's being paid in Australia is not enough to cover a 100% or to get to a 100% dividend, which is a fully frank dividend. Okay. Now, you mentioned the 
the, you know, it's not an issue with the earnings, it's an issue with the tax. That being said... Well, the earnings said, could be a problem as well. Right, well, that's, that's what I'm you, right? Yeah. Well, no, that, I think that's, that's worth, worth talking about because for now it's only the franking credits. That, that, by the way, that's bad enough. For some people who are relying on those franking credits, that you know, they're literally going to have less money in their pockets after this mm. than before it because even though the franking credits are to some degree not real when they're passed on from the company, they're very, very real when you pay tax for the ATO. So whether you're getting a franking credit refund, um, and we, the election was fought about that, or whether you're simply paying less tax because the credit goes against the tax you're otherwise it's paying. real money. The 80, well, the 80 cents that you got last year is worth a whole lot more to you than the 80 cents you're getting this year because you're going to have to pay more tax on this year's dividend or simply get a lower refund. So it's real, real money. But that being said, should we be worried about banks' earnings? I mean, this is... Possibly the thin end of the wedge, right? First, you, I was going to say, first they came for the franken credits and I didn't speak up. That's kind of the, the situation here, right? If there is something that is potentially risky about banks' earnings, the franken credits will be the first to go because they haven't got enough accrued credits to pay out. You've got to wonder whether the dividend cut comes next. Well, yes, you should. we should worry about the health of the banks from an economy-wide point of view. You don't want to see any of these banks go under. You've got people's savings in these banks. Uh, there's many people out there with uh, cash savings, term deposits and so on. So you don't want to see that. But from an investment point of view, um, you've got all the headwinds of uh, very minimal credit growth and still high property prices. Now, interest rates have come down, but that um, creates, you know, this is another topic, but it creates um, another potential bubble in in uh, house prices and oh, higher levels of debt. It's all it's all sort of Tell linked. me you're not in teams, on Doc's well, team pessimism here with house well, prices. I just, I just see that there's Hashtag a lot. Hashtag team bubble going on. <laughs> there's a lot of downside risk. Um, now, it's funny, I remember, this was years ago, I think it might have been the 2007 AGM at the National Australia Bank. I, I actually went to that. It's one of the few that I've been to. So you're the bloke who goes to AGMs? I went to one. That was more than a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't mind them occasionally. It depends on the questions that would have to be Tell asked. Me the answer, mate. Do, you, do you go for the coffee and the biscuits? Though? The, 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 the uh, sandwiches are really good, I've got to say. <laughs> So I think that, that's why a lot of people So that's go where the shareholder money goes. And that's just quietly, Ed probably lowered the average age of the AGM attendance by about 25 years. Yeah, I, know. I, I, do, I do remember there was a, um, uh, an individual shareholder who got up and uh, just blasted leadership and said, look, I bought these shares at 31. And they're not directly responsible for the, the share price, but indirectly right. they are. But he got up and said, look, this, I bought these shares at 31 and $34, and now they're languishing at $24. So he was looking for growth, and maybe he wasn't in the right sort of – um, stock to be, possibly not. Possibly not. So I mean, you can do, but I mean, we could talk all day about dividends, growth, growth and dividends. So um, you were there in two thousand and seven, just that before was the GFC. Yeah, that was that was. Um, Mate, please never go to a banking AGM again. If, if there's anything linked in there, oh. I don't, don't. Please never turn up again another one because I, you know, so, I don't soon know after that the world economy fell apart. I'm not saying it's directly related. I'm just saying. I don't know if I'd be the catalyst for that. Well, you can't prove you weren't, mate. So let's, let's not go to any more <laughs> nab AGMs. Um, so look, give, give me your verdict on the banks, mate. Are you, are you buying, selling, or holding the big four banks? Well, there's two ways of looking at it. First of all, if you're a younger person, you're looking for growth, like me. Yep, and me, young, handsome, attractive, and, and Anaban, funny, good looking. Um, did I mention attractive? Anyone who's basically still in the accumulation phase, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the superannuation term, but really anyone who's still working and still um, putting money, hopefully. If we're net savers, yep. Putting money away towards an eventual retirement, then mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if the banks are the right place to be. If, because? For example, oh, because I don't think the growth is there, there are a lot of downside risks. I think based on that, the valuations on the banks are still potentially expensive. The yields could be a yield trap. Mm-hmm. However, on the so other hand- a franking trap, as it turns out. That's true. Now, on the other hand, though, you've got people perhaps though who are retired. Now, let's just say we've got someone who's built up a sizable portfolio mm-hmm. with some banks in it, and those franking credits and those 
maybe reduced franking credits with ANZ and the dividends themselves are still still coming in even if they're not growing. Mm-hmm. Just let's just say that those dividends um, provide a meaningful source of household uh, source of income for the household. Mm-hmm. Um, the growth doesn't matter as long as you don't see dramatic dividend cuts, which by the way could still happen. But through a number of years, you'd like to see steady, steadily rising dividends. You haven't seen that with the banks for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll see it for a number of years yet, but the higher yield, you know, for example, National Australia Bank, I think it's got one of the highest yields amongst the, the top four, it does. It's about 6% yep. plus. If it gets cut, you've still got a reasonable dividend depending on the cut, 5%, 4%. That's the sort of philosophy we have with our everlasting income portfolio. Mm-hmm. As long as there's enough there across the board for a portfolio, whatever it might be, to at least cover living expenses or at least contribute to a household um, budget. So if you're working, don't own any banks. If you're retired, fill your portfolio for You long. can have banks. Right. Anyone can have them, of course, but uh, I don't have? know if they should have them. Right. And if you're retired, fill your boots. Well, I wouldn't say that either. <laughs> I'd say you have to diversify. Now, it's very hard to say to a 70-year-old, look, you should have done this. I don't mm-hmm. like those words. You should have, you could have, or you would have. Could have, should have, It, it doesn't yes. help. It no. doesn't help at all. What should they do now, though, mate? Well, I, I would say I spoke to um, one member um, of few meetings ago we have these mm-hmm. uh, meetings every three months or so and what of our we, motley full platinum service right. our absolute top level service at the motley full if you want to join let us know member support au at full.com.au and we'll send you some details that's right now we found we, we found having chatted to this member he had a pretty sizable portfolio he was managing some um money for his for his mum she mm-hmm. had some commonwealth bank shares going way back to the float in the early 1990s mm-hmm. they have risen a long way okay they haven't done much recently but they're still paying out reasonably good dividends with franking credits attached, but there's a big tax problem. Mm. Uh, now, you can imagine, I don't know the size of that portfolio, but I'd imagine it's quite healthy. Let's assume it's it's probably tripled or quadrupled in size, so even, right. even regardless of the absolute size, so you'd have to. it's a decent capital yeah. gains tax bill if you wish to sell. And of course, if there's this tax bill, um, depending on the size of the portfolio and marginal rates and all the rest, you've still got to then uh, look at the after-tax returns and then find something to replace that. And hopefully to be better then. It's going to be very hard with a big tax bill to get back to where you were. Well, that's the hardest part, right? If you're paying, I mean, if, if something's tripled or quadrupled in value, you're probably paying tax that gets close to 20, 25% of the portfolio value or the position value. Mm. That means you're kind of starting with 80 bucks to get back to 100 just to break even on that before you get gains from that point. That can be a difficult thing to mentally, financially get your head around. Of course, yeah. the share price could still fall and take away those, those losses anyway. So yeah, tax- it's, not, it's not a zero-sum, one-directional game. But by the same token... It's an issue, right? Tax should never drive an investment decision. We always say if it's, a, it's a, if it's a potentially poor investment, don't go there. Or if it's a company that you've had for a number of years and you, it's deteriorated a lot but not reflected in the share price, maybe, maybe you should sell mm-hmm. uh, but, and cop, cop the tax later because you could actually be better off paying the tax rather right. than copying a 50% loss right. in, a, in a share price. Good advice. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, back to you, Doc, because I know you're on team optimism. Am I? I'm very optimistic. I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm trying, no? I'm trying. Mate, I'm, one day you're going to walk into the studio and tell me how wonderful house prices are and how wonderful the ASX is and how excited you are to be. I'm always excited. All right. Well, then in that case, I want to hit you with a headline from the AFR this mm-hmm. week. Get ready. Billionaires say a global economic downturn is inevitable. How's that for some good news? That sounds like great news. I think that got a lot of clicks, though. That was in the AFR this mm. week. 
Um, now, one particular man, Ray Dalio, who some will have heard of, some won't have, he runs the massive world's largest hedge fund called Bridgewater. He's very, very well regarded, very smart, has predicted a couple of recent events in the market that give him some degree of prominence as a forecaster. Whether that's justified or not, Doc, I'll ask you for your thoughts. The, the subtext of this headline says, Ray Dalio went further saying the global economy faces an explosive mix of ineffective monetary policy, a rise in the wealth gap, and climate change. How's that for... Ex- Ray Dalio must be a fun bloke around parties, mustn't he? Just can you imagine? <laughs> hey, Ray, nice to meet you. You walk away, you know. you the, 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 give up, wouldn't you? Yeah, the world is burning up. Dear, oh dear. <laughs> Warming up. Um, yeah, there's too many problems. We're going to hell in a handbasket on Ray Dalio. Good old, good old, good old happy Ray. Ray. Ray Beam of Sunshine Dalio. No, I, well, I, I'm partly kidding. I'm partly serious because mm. it must be a pretty depressing conversation. What do you say, mate? I mean, should we be worried? If billionaires say it, we're kind of tempted to listen, right? The headline writers know that. That's why they wrote the headline. Do we care? Should we care? What's Are we, are we faced with a crash? Okay, so I'll, I'll backtrack here. Number one is that it's very hard to know exactly what he's saying without the full context, the right? The turn is inevitable. That's what the headline yeah, says. Well, yeah, the, head, well, the headline is the headline is the headline, right? <laughs> I mean, the headline has to be written in a way that you know people click on it because that's the business model, right? We know nothing about uh, that. Uh, we know nothing about that. Um, I claim to know nothing. Uh, <laughs> but 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 that aside, I mean, you know, uh, so you have to know what Dalio is saying in the you know. So in the, it, it depends on what context and what is the. I guess the circumstances under which he said what he said, right? So that's mm-hmm. in, in the, that's it. I mean, I, I take Dalio very seriously because you know he's one of those. You know, he's he's a thinker like Howard Marks, yeah, for example. You know, whose whose thoughts are always very useful mm-hmm. um, and important to know. Now, here's the other flip side of that, right? Maybe he got last two calls right, mm-hmm. right? I don't know how many calls he did not get right, and two <laughs> two definitely does not make a big sample space. Is exactly the two I, I I quoted to you sometime back about you know not investing in businesses that diversify mm. across you know uh, regions so that they, they're not affected by climate right it's like that two is not a sample space the, uh, the sample size is too small that's number two number three is I think um, I can make a call that there's going to be an economic problem sometime and I could I would definitely be right because there is going to be an economic problem sometime <laughs> eventually right I'll, I'll eventually be right in our lifetime uh, or someone else's yeah like I mean right. I'm almost I, I can even comfortably make one and say that in my lifetime there will be a problem uh, either locally or globally and I am definitely going to win that bet well right? there's a recession on average every seven years there's a fair chance that you're not uh, you're not exactly yeah. seven years out from leaving this mortal coil so there's yeah. a decent chance you're right with that bet. so I don't have to be Einstein to get that right um, um, although I'd like to be Einstein um, yeah so, so that, that, you know that, Einstein didn't know his own phone number Oh, that's a great problem. I think it's kind of cool. It'll be fantastic not to know your own phone number. What's well, the problem? As long as no one else knows your own phone number, you get calls. That's a whole different problem. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like, okay, so go, taking Dahlia seriously, I mean, there are some issues, right? I mean, there's, yep. you know, in some places there's too much debt, there's not enough economic activity. There is definitely, in places where there's economic activity, there is like, you know, the divide within rich and poor is expanding. Yep. Um, climate change is a well a well-documented problem. So there are problems. But you know what? There's always been problems. There have been, you know, bigger problems in the past. There have been wars, nuclear wars. You know, nuclear warheads have been dropped on people. Yep. Um, well, we have moved through them. So, I mean, you know, I, I still believe that over the long term, I think people do well. I mean, as a, as a, as, as, as a race of the humankind, I think we continually innovate. So over time, we should be fine. Um, I think that's true, mate. If you think about, you know, take, take your, your point about nuclear war or you know, nuclear explosions. World War II, if, you, if you'd if you in 1937 predicted the next eight years worth of 
global conflagration, you would have said, this is terrible, it's all going to be awful. If you'd invested anyway, you would have made a fortune. And I think there's a different distinction between the presence of risks, even the reality of those risks coming to fruition, and what it actually might mean for long-term investors thus far, and hey, this is the first time for everything, but thus far, avoiding those things, not investing because of those risks has almost always, like exactly always, been a terrible decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the thing, I'll, the distinction I'll make here is that if you know your time frame matters, right? I mean, right. this is what we always say, right? You know, if you like three to five years is your investing time frame, you're all right. Mm. If you need the money like tomorrow. So like, I mean, you know, I can understand why this sort of um, headline really catches on because there are people who are retired in this world, right? <laughs> who need, who probably have a significant right. chunk of their money sitting in investments who would worry mm-hmm. about the investments going down, right? And it would really be very sad. Wait, they, we worry about it, right? If we, if we look at our portfolios, yeah. we know what comes back, but it doesn't stop the emotional turmoil. Oh, yeah, the emotional. But for but if I don't need the money, it's, it's one thing. Right. But if somebody else needs the money, they're living off it. And then worse, they, right? and Yeah, it, it would really be terrible, right? So I think it, this sort of thing uh, causes a lot of emotion, largely because, you know, for that reason. So, I mean, I wouldn't be too worried. But, I, you know, that, that said, I would never ignore Dalio. Back to our special guest, Ed Vesely, one of our key lead advisors at Montley Fool. Mate, what do you say? Economic uh, downturn? Inevitable? Yes? No? Yes, what absolutely do we do? it is. How do we, how do we change? How do we, how do we confront it? Well, absolutely. There's uh, a downturn coming. We just don't know when. There's also a, a recovery in flat markets, and there will be lower interest rates. There will be higher interest Wait, that's rates. Not very, you're not going to get a job as a chief economist of an investment bank. No, but I'm trying to keep attitude. it simple here. <laughs> no, it always comes back. I mean, you, look, you, ha- you might have to consider, um, you know, these big macro these calls and you know, the headlines themselves don't mean much, but you still want to look at the the, the level of interest rates and currencies and so and all the rest. But right. even that's focusing very short term on things. So like right now, you could see there's a slightly lower Australian dollar that might mm. jump a little bit if interest rates in the states are being cut. But at the end of the day, you've got to really come back to focusing just on the investment itself. Now that could be a, a company, a listed company, or it could be an ETF, a sector, uh, a managed fund, even. You just have to, again, look at the underlying assets that you've got your money in. Now, if you're comfortable with the long-term prospects for that investment, you would just do nothing. You would just continue to hold it. I think if there would be extreme valuations, Mm -hmm. and I suppose you have to be good enough to recognise extreme, but if there (laughs) – I don't mean extreme opportunities, of course, but extreme valuations. Extreme is awesome. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, of course, there's always a time to sell, but uh, generally um, what we'd be wanting to do is to hold through thick and thin – and get to a point where you've got a reasonably large portfolio to, if not fully pay an income to live on. That would be the, the holy grail, wouldn't it? That would be nice. But that's it. that's if, the aim, by the if way. If you could even get some dividends to pay, for example, uh, let's say maybe just a uh, health insurance premium, mm. $4,000 mm. a year, say. I mean, that is one load off the household budget. Um, but again, we can, I'm sort of on a tangent here, but coming back to the... I suppose the question at hand is you're looking at cycles. And, of course, he's absolutely right. There will be a correction at some point. There will be an economic downturn. Uh, when was the last time Australia had one? I think it was 1991. It was. I think on the balance of probabilities there's going to be one uh, before the next 28 years or so. <laughs> you, um, you think that would happen? Somewhere between now and 2037 you're saying there'll be a downturn. I'd, I'd say so. It's pretty – pretty. so I don't – No, 2047. Jeez, uh, got to check yeah, the maths. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to happen. Look, at the, end the, end, at the end of the day you've just got to um, – mm. Go into investment markets with the view that uh, there is going to be volatility. There is go- not just in share prices, but volatility in the world around us, uh, economies. You've got political situations and you've got trade wars and all the rest. And despite that, 
uh, over many years and many decades, uh, share markets have still done all right. I remember back in 2003, share markets had fallen quite dramatically just prior to the, that was the second Gulf War mm. back then. And just when the war started, which is really, I, I suppose, the point where you've got maximum uh, bad news in the market, uh, the market's just rocketed. Uh, maybe because it was just after the event. Okay, it's all done. We can move on. You can't really predict markets. They're a bit irrational in that, in that sense in the short term, but you'd want to um, not, not try to second guess. I've also got a friend who uh, sold out of a fairly big chunk of his portfolio just prior to the 2016 elections Ooh, in the US yeah. based on the prospects for a change, which mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, it doesn't matter which way the election goes. I'm not making any political comment here, but um, the Republicans got in. That was considered to be maybe a bad thing for investment markets by my friend. So maybe he's listening. Mm. But uh, it proved to be the wrong decision. That's well, only you're three years well, ago. You just, you just completely dragged him through the mud on a, on a national Oh, totally. Podcast. But I won't name him. <laughs> <laughs> but he's doing, he's doing okay. I think he's, he's back in. But look, uh, I just emphasise to him and a lot of people that I yeah. talk to is just to just keep it simple and focus on longer term and take advantage of extreme uh, pricing when they happen. But you don't get to see that too often. Yep. We just have to be constantly watching it, though. Yeah, it's a good point. And we saw during, uh, to that, that very election, we actually saw some newspaper articles, some prominent newspaper articles, where people saying they're going to sell their portfolio, go to cash while they waited to see the how the dust settled. That was a very, very expensive thing to do. I think that's the that's the thing. You know, are there risks? Yes. Will they come to pass? Yes. At some point, Who, when we don't know. And also on top of that, we don't really know the impact of those risks actually coming to pass either financially in terms of the global economy or, most specifically, the value of our shares. Well, I just wanted to make one quick point. If we go back to uh, 20 years, back to 1999. Yes. Mate, you, got, you can't bring facts to this podcast. Oh. You, know, you know better than that. Well, I came prepared, so I didn't just randomly <laughs> walk into the Triple M studios, did I? Very good. And bump into you. No, I did come prepared. Uh, look, back in 1999, that was one year before mm-hmm. the, the dot-com crash. Yep. Uh, we had also the Gulf War I just mentioned in 2003, yes. which was pessimistic for markets. We also had, of course, the GFC in 08, 09. And we've had volatility since. Uh, we've had Grexit. We're still going through Brexit. Uh, we had elections and all the rest. But I'll just give you one example, and I do disclose I own shares in this. This is an ARB Corporation. Excellent. I thought I'd just look at this from the point of view of not the share price, but just the the consequences of good management of the company and dividend policy. Mm-hmm. Now, back in 1999, the the uh, these shares are fully frank, by the way. The shares had uh, that were paid out that year with three cents. Right. Okay. Now. If we fast forward through all of those events, and we go through to 2019, <laughs> the most recent financial year uh, finishing just now. Yes. Uh, the and this is despite everything around us that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. The the dividend paid out to shareholders was 40 cents. Right. Okay. So now over 20 years, we we're looking at um, a more than 13 times your income. Mm-hmm. So ask yourself if your salary and wages have gone up 13 times in 20 years. I'd say probably not. That's a compound annual growth rate or an average return of just under 14% per annum. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, of course, ARB was a much smaller company back then. Mm-hmm. I've got a few other examples as well. I won't go into those today. But the point is, is that you would actually look at a company, you would hold on for the longer term. You, you don't try to second guess all of these political and economic and share market events. You just hold on. Um, you Obviously, you manage your investment, you, you 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 examine it and you yep. study it. But as long as things are going according to plan, then why try to second guess where markets are going next when you can look at an income increase of 13 times or 14% per annum? That's the growth. Now, wages growth at the moment is about 2%. Not quite 13%, 14%. No. Now, of course, now you could argue, well, that's all in hindsight. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. But 
back in 1999 or at any time just before anyone decides to buy some shares, mm-hmm. we don't know the future. That was the same for shareholders back in 1999 when everything was flying with the dot-com stocks. It ARB is a fairly small – well, what it does, by the way, I should have explained what it does. It's a four-wheel drive accessory mm-hmm. a manufacturer, distributor, and seller. It does seen plenty of ARB logos yes, on bull bars and roof racks around town. Hopefully a lot of those on the roads. You'll see uh, a lot of exports. Uh, it's increasing. It's, it's um, I suppose, the, the percentage of sales that are going in exports, um, mm-hmm. they're actually increasing and grow, growing at much higher rates uh, here in Australia. Mm-hmm. So it, it's actually doing quite well despite a very poor uh, economic environment in Australia. Mm-hmm. But potentially it's, it's quite poor based on some of the the uh, macro... Don't get a team's pessimism game here. Come on, stay but optimistic. At the end of the day... Help me out. Whoever in 1999 decided to buy those shares <laughs> did not know the future. Right. They've just held on, if they've right. held on. Right. And there are some long-term holders that I've come across that have had shares for this long. I've had them since 2003, so I've done well almost done. as good as this. But um, I think you've just got to accept that the unknown is just a factor of investing. That's why there's higher returns in the first place. We've got to remember that. We could always go to a 2, 2% term deposit. Mm. We know what our return's going to be in six mm. months or 12 mm. months. Mm. But you're going to get 2% and you're not, not going to get any growth. I'm going with shares. Long-term investing um, works, me too. is the message. I like shares. And cash is good, just before you do that. Cash is good, but only for the option of looking for good um, ideas or cheap prospects in the market when they appear. Very good. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, I'm going to... You know what I'm going to do, don't you, Doc? Get on the high horse. I'm getting on the high horse, Ed. You're I'll happy. say out of this one. <laughs> Mate, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna draw breath long enough to let you get in. I want to have a, a rant about an article I saw in the AFR this morning. I don't know if you blokes saw it. the 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 headline was "Jihad on Banks Risks a Crisis." Colin Morgan, and this is former Westpac boss David Morgan. And I'll quote again the the sub the sub uh, text of the headline. David Morgan says the effect of regulatory scrutiny and low interest rates could cripple the banking sector. Now I don't know about you blokes, but I gotta say. Are we really honestly going to say, yeah, you know what? Banks, screw the economy. Do whatever you want. Treat customers badly. Yeah, you're right. We really shouldn't be watching what you guys are up to. We should give you a free reign. Knock yourselves out. Screw people over. Charge too much interest. Charge dead people for financial advice. God forbid, David, you actually have some scrutiny on the banking sector. Did we learn nothing? Did he learn nothing from the Royal Commission? Now, I'm sure he didn't, David. I'm sure you're a lovely bloke. But fair dinkum, mate. If we can't have a reasonably run financial sector, reasonably run banking sector... And you've got to wonder what the whole point of the entire shebang is. We might as well give the whole thing up and go away. If we're going to let people, and these are the biggest companies on the ASX, the biggest companies in the country, we're going to let them have carte blanche because, gee, it might hurt bank profits. I mean, give me a break. This is not. This is a society, not an economy. I'm an investor. I'm a capitalist. I'm a democratic capitalist. I'm super excited about the value of democracy, the value of capitalism, and the sorts of returns we can get from investing, as Ed's already just said, in some of the best businesses on the planet. But you don't get a free pass from being socially responsible. You don't get a free pass from being appropriately regulated. You don't get a free pass from, guess what, charging dead people for financial advice, giving crap financial advice, giving selling investment insurance products that simply don't meet needs or don't take people's account or take people's circumstances into account. This is simply not sustainable. David, I'm sure you said it with the right intention. I understand there might possibly be some downsides of regulation, but if we ever, as a government, as a country, start not regulating because, oh, gee, we might hurt some people, then we fair to lost our entire way. It is completely ridiculous. We do need reasonable, quality regulation of all parts of the economy, and particularly the financial sector that we're all obliged to take part in because, frankly, 
we're part of this sector, right? Our, pay, our pay goes somewhere. We use cards and cash to pay our bills. This is what happens in life. We certainly need, deserve, and want reasonable, appropriate regulation. David Morgan, you are wrong. We need more scrutiny, and the consequences will fall where they may. You're feeling better? I feel so much better. The banks don't like you. They will increase your rate, Captain. Not, hey, I'm, I'm with a customer-owned bank, dude. I'm with the credit union. There's a very good reason for that, just quietly. Hey, having this for a while. Hashtag get a better rate. You would you asked for this one, Doc. This is your – anyone who doesn't want the next 30 seconds, just mute me for 30 seconds and yell at Doc after we finish. No, get a better rate. Get if a, you haven't got a better rate by now, go and get it. You know what? If your bank is so wonderful to you, you want to keep your business with them, then wonderful. If you want to donate to the bank manager's retirement fund or the bank shareholder's profit fund, knock yourselves out. Donate to me. I just or, or need, me. I need to take you up on that. Or go to a anywhere. I don't go to another bank. Go to a credit union. Go to a building society. Go and get a better rate. You simply don't earn enough money. I don't earn enough money to pay extra to the banks just because we're being apathetic because they make it hard for us to leave because it's just too boring or hard or painful. Leave your bank. Go to another bank. Get a better rate. You will thank me for it. Your kids will thank you for it. You'll have more money. You can invest more money. As we heard one of our mailbag uh, correspondents a couple of weeks ago say, he say 500 bucks. He's put that straight into investing into shares. That is the holy grail. Well done. Get a better rate. There is a caveat. Of course, oh, here we go. get a better rate. Obviously, the better, just get a better rate. You, you have to try. You do have to try. You've got to go and ring your bank and ask for the better rate. Don't tell me there's a but here. Come However, on. we tried. We, we tried. We tried this. The, ba- the bank wouldn't budge. Would what? you believe it? Did you change banks? We did. Yeah, there you go. But it's not going to be easy. We, we had a do it anyway. You have to try, but it's not going to be easy given the tightening of lending standards at the moment. So that's another problem. But it's not going to be as easy as you think. But you certainly have to try, and you certainly have to uh, call a bank's bluff. Get a better rate. All I've got to say. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I feel better now. You both feel better? Yeah. Don't I'm very good. I'm feeling happy now. You're feeling happy now? Well, because I'm, I'm less ranty. Yeah. Go get it out, you reckon? Yeah, that's exactly. Today. <laughs> I think we should start the podcast <laughs> with your high horse. <laughs> that means other people won't listen or they'll they'll switch off after I've finished, depending on what they prefer. So you, you think this is the highlight? Uh, no, I'm not saying. I'm saying maybe it's a low light for some people. We, we lose the people who've listened this far, who now aren't listening anymore because I started a rant, they switched off. If they did that at the beginning of the podcast, we wouldn't hear any of it. Uh, I think the get it's a benefit doing towards the end. Well, I think it feels, the, good. It feels the, good. Get but, a better rate is very beneficial. Isn't it? It's beneficial. Oh, man. But I need a coffee. <laughs> now... Despite all that, we've got time for our mailbag, our favourite seg- segment, your favourite segment. We might get some of your thoughts, Ed, as we go through the podcast, uh, to go through the mailbag. Um, I'm going to start with a note we got from Jeff. Now, you might remember from last week, I think it was, maybe the week before, Jeff uh, sent us a message on Instagram. And yes, I will go through our social accounts in a second. So get your pens ready. Do people use pens anymore? Or are they typing straight into their phones? Font. iPhones. Oh, God, it was. <laughs> Don't write on your phone with your Don't pen, talk phones. for the record. Um, the uh, we, we will give you socials, so get ready for that. In the meantime, Jeff, who uh, sent us a message on Instagram, one of our Insta messages, that's my new favourite. It's not really my favourite platform. It's kind of cool. Um, Jeff, whose son Fletcher was getting started investing. And I, this is not a question. It's more a comment, but I just want to share it. Hi, Scott and Doc. Thanks so much for putting us on the podcast. Fletcher is even keener to get started on his own portfolio. Love the advice in this week's podcast. Much appreciated and have a great week from us both. Jeff Fletcher, awesome. Thank you very much for the, for the message. Um, Fletcher, here's a, here's a, 
a challenge or a request for you, mate, let us know how you go. Get Dad to jump on Instagram. Hopefully you haven't got your own Instagram account just yet. Get Dad to jump on Instagram. Let us know what you're buying. Let us know how you're going. Let us know about your investment journey. I'd love to know. Doc would love to know. Ed, I'm sure would love to know. And our listeners, I'm sure, would also appreciate the update. So let us know how you go. Give us an update. We want to follow along your investing journey as you, from a very early age, become richer than all of us by simply getting started early. Mate, well done. Let us know what you're buying. Give us some tips so we know what uh, we should be investing in as well. Next question we had was another comment, actually, from one of our correspondents. And I was, I was, uh, I missed this one entirely, but we had a message saying, Hi there, consistently listening to your podcast. Can you wish Doc happy Diwali and prosperous new year? I guess that's from Kanchan, although there may be a better pronunciation of that one, Doc, if that's a. Kanchan. Kanchan, thank you. Uh, and we, I did pass that on. So happy Diwali, mate, and to all of our listeners oh, who observe Diwali. Yeah, and, and thank you, Kanchan, for passing on the wishes. Yeah, it was great. And it was very kind of him to pass it on. It wasn't. Very Happy the wallet to him as well. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, we got a question, another question on Instagram. I love it. I, should I, am I irrational to love Instagram? I don't know why I love Instagram, actually. I really don't use it. I don't have food photos to take or, well, you know. Me working out on the beach at sunrise or anything to share, but I kind of like Instagram. You just love socials. I do love socials. I'm all about the socials, mate. I'm all, I'm all Gen Z, millennial, all those kind of good things. <laughs> anyway. Gen, Gen Z? <laughs> well, I'm one of the Gens, something like that. Mm. I don't know. One of them. One of those. Probably Gen G or H or something, I imagine. But I pretend I'm Or Gen X. Z. X. Uh, Terminator sent us another message on Insta. He said, love the podcast. Third time writing to you, lads, and still enjoying every minute of Motley Fool Money. Thank you, Terminator. He says, now that I'm living in Korea, it's wonderful to continually maintain a firm grasp on the Australian markets from listening to the show while being overseas. You're very welcome. He says, ironically, though, my question about investing in the States. I have some small positions overseas, which I've gained through stake. However, I'm curious of the tax implications. Do I generally pay tax to the States on any gains I'd make? I'm a long-term investor, so I'm not frequently trading, but still curious what happens when the infrequent closing of a position occurs. Additionally, does CGT, or capital gains tax, factor in as well? Thanks for the podcast, the constant wit and wisdom. Perhaps Scott can try and make a terrible pun with these two words. I object. I don't make terrible puns. I only make good puns. I make clever puns. I make funny puns. I don't do terrible puns. You should know that by now, Terminator. Uh, Sam is his name, of course. Um, and he says, uh, and generally good times, which I don't know if is in contrast to my terrible puns, or part of it. I'll assume it's part of it. Full on, Sam. Sam, thank you for the long question. Thank you for the compliments. And uh, maybe this is the last question I'll ever share of yours because you accuse me of making terrible puns. And goodness knows I'm not that punny. <laughs> Get it? Punny, funny? Very funny. Hi, hi. You're welcome, Sam. All right, Doc. You're well, a US investor. Yeah. What are the tax implications for – and we don't know about a Korean or someone living in Korea, so I'll exclude that part mm. of our conversation because, Sam, there may well be issues because you're living in Korea, you're probably an Australian for tax purposes, you're investing in the US, so that's probably an extra wrinkle that we can't help you with. Mm. But for an Australian doc who's investing in the US, what are the tax considerations? Okay, so I'll, I'll first caveat this by saying I'm not a tax expert, so talk to your accountant. That's a very right. good first piece of advice. So, so that, that's very important. I can tell you, like, you know, in normal course, um, if you're an Australian resident – for tax purposes, yes. uh, which most of us are here, then what happens is you pay what's called a dividend on dividends. You mm -hmm. pay a withholding tax to the United States um, Treasury Department or whatever it is called, Internal Revenue Services, yes. IRS, mm -hmm. which is our ATO equivalent. They withhold 15% of the dividend. You get 85%, mm -hmm. but you can claim back that 15% or you can at least note it in your tax returns as 
as taxes paid on those dividends. A little so bit fact, like franking credits, it should offset the tax you pay. Yeah, so you, effectively right? it's like a credit, you don't get double taxed on that. So that's that part. Right. On capital gains, actually there's no withholding um, because there's a treaty between the US and Australia which mm-hmm. allows essentially the ATO to tax us for mm-hmm. any gains we make on this. So the same CTG rules apply. You basically, you know, note how much CTG was, and then you know if it's if it's a long term capital gain, then you 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 have the benefit of that. If not, you pay the the you know tax on the full short term capital gains. Dead right. So the tax is all done in Australia, with the exception of withholding, which you can offset against your tax. Effectively, what that means is, for all intents and purposes, after you allow for that withholding tax, the US has already garnished. You should pay no more tax and also no less tax than you would pay if it was an Australian listed asset. Fair to say, mate? Yeah, I think that's correct. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move on to another question. I'm going to grab you in this one, Ed. Uh, Sam sent us a message. I think it was also on Instagram, as it turns out. It's all about the instance this week. Hey, Scotty and Doc. Insert generic podcast compliment here. Sam, lift your game. I don't just generic podcast compliments. I do very specific, very effusive, very positive still, podcast still compliments. Still a compliment. You've got to take it. I, I want specific compliments about myself. What? And me. Well, you, Ed's only here once. I don't care about him. Yeah, well, you, you got to ask for your own. I'm asking openly. <laughs> <laughs> as, I've said, as I've said before, mate, we never, ever ask people to give us compliments. Uh, no. It never it never even slightly influences which questions we ask on the podcast. Absolutely not. Except that it does. No, it doesn't really. <laughs> but, you know, it would, would it really hurt you, Sam, to make some put some effort into a compliment? Would that really be so hard? No, it's not at all hard. Sam, lift your game. All right. <laughs> Sam says... And last one of you, Ed, uh, partly because he didn't give us compliments, so he doesn't deserve it. No, no, I'm kidding. I have had Afterpay, Kogan, and Treasury on my watch list for a while now, but I felt they were too expensive to add to my portfolio until recently, when in the last two weeks, all of three dropped, uh, sorry, experience drops of 7 to 11%. I was stoked and added all three of them to my portfolio. In light of this, do you have an opinion on contrarian investing? I find it very interesting, but the empirical evidence doesn't necessarily support its profitability. Thanks. He also says, P.S., your podcast and advisor services have given me the confidence to start investing young, so thank you. And he says, P.P.S., and I have to read this one out, a shout-out to my mate Isaac, who listens with me religiously. I reckon that's pretty cool. If people are listening together to our podcast- That is awesome. They really need to find something better to do with their time, don't they? Yeah. At least, I hope at least, well, depending on what time you're listening to this, Sam, hopefully at least you're sharing a beer, maybe a coffee if you have to, or a glass of wine, or something non-alcoholic if that's your preference. In any case, hopefully it's a uh, both educational and entertaining part of your day, and hopefully you made Isaac- He's going to buy you the next beer for the shout-out. So, Isaac, Sam doesn't probably deserve it because he didn't give us a real compliment, but do him a favour, buy him a beer. Say thanks for sharing the podcast with you. Isaac can write to us and give us a compliment. Well, and Sam should frankly follow up with a compliment too. Ed, contrarian investing, smart or a lowercase f, fool's errand? Oh, look, on paper, it's... It's the perfect strategy, right? You buy something that's low and you, you wait for it to rise and you sell it at a higher price. <laughs> Simple as that. Mate. Problem is you've got to you've got to recognise what's contrarian. So right. is it a stock that's simply fallen 20% but it could still be overvalued mm-hmm. or is it a company that's in some sort of trouble and is it going to uh, turn or is it going out of business? I suppose a good example would be, well, it's not quite out of business but Retail Food Group, north of $5. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that trading at now? 15 cents. You, could have, you yep. could have said... I'll buy the dips at four, three, two, and one dollar per <laughs> share, and you're still down another eighty-five percent. What do they say about trying there. to catch a falling knife? Yes, uh, it could have been Costa's mm. one of those as well with yes, four possibly. four downgrades this year. So I think it's um, uh, very fraught. I think you've got to be very good at uh, you've got to be very good at actually studying 
that business and knowing the industry, the competitive situation with the, the company and so on. Uh, I think, look, my, my preference would be you wouldn't want to pay too much for anything, of course, but it's right. okay to pay a little bit more than rock bottom to get a growing company with no hairs on it. Mm-hmm. You just want something that's going to work for you rather than taking a risk. I think I don't cover those three companies. I don't follow them closely at all, but mm-hmm. Afterpay is, from what I read, is quite expensive. It does have apparently some very good prospects, but it's also got some maybe regulatory issues surrounding it, maybe. Uh, there's also the competition side of things in the US. That's about the extent of my knowledge, by the way. But um, look, if it falls 20%, uh, is that necessarily a good buy? you just got to be very careful. I think you'd really have to um, really get to study that company very well or take advice. Very good. So don't necessarily wait for the falls. Maybe pay up if you're getting a good quality business. As yeah, you don't want. want to pay up too much, but it, it's okay to pay a reasonable price rather than a cheap price. Or Of course, you don't want to pay too much, mm. but it's okay to pay a, a reasonable price for growth. So I'm going to ask our, our resident contrarian value investor, Doc, uh, Anirban Mahati. Mate, uh, you're, a, you're a noted uh, deep discount, deep value investor. I'm definitely very deep value. <laughs> You are you. I don't think you've you've even ever invested in a company that's been called value. I think that'd be a reason for you to sell. No, uh, that, that, that would be a mistake. I have done that. Okay, and well, whenever I've tried <laughs> deep value investing, does not work in my favor. And that might be Sam's point about somehow contrarian investing. The, the numbers don't always necessarily yeah. match up with the reality. What do you say about Sam's strategy of, of buying these things after they've fallen seven to ten percent? Contrarian, good idea, bad idea. How do you how do you characterize that? Yeah. So. The, um, yeah, like, I mean, all of these ones that we have got, like he's mentioned, you know, some, of, I think they're all buys in different services of ours. Mm-hmm. So, that, so yeah. I mean, if you think the long-term future of these businesses are good, then you're getting a 10% discount mm-hmm. and, and you wanted to establish a position, you get a 10% discount. That sounds like a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the, uh, the only thing I'm going to caution is that what you don't want to do is you don't want to wait for a certain discount if you think it's a good buy at today's price and it's going to, you're going to hold it for like the next five years, then you know, waiting for the discount mm. to materialize might mean that you actually see a first gain of 30%, then a drop <laughs> of 5%, and then you buy at that 5% when you're still behind, right? right? So, I mean, you know, if that, that's the only thing. It's a, timing is always hard, as Ed was alluding to. So I think that's, that's the... That's the key thing I'll just mention. Yeah, nice. That's good Good advice. I'm going to pick up one of those. Uh, you and I back in, I think it was January this year, February this year, uh, we picked five stocks for mm-hmm. three years. I think we picked or five years. I can't remember what it was. Um, and you and I, the only stock we both picked was Kogan, as it turns out, one of Sam's yep. questions. Now, if I go back to the beginning of the year, just to, to pick a number, Kogan was selling on January 1, give or take, for about $3.40-odd, give or take, right? It's now $6.85. Now, that's not quite a double, but let's just say it's a lot for the sake of the exercise. If and Sam, I hope this isn't rubbing salt in the wounds. If you've been waiting since then for a dri- for a drop of ten percent, well, you're six eighty five. It is now. It was seven dollars at one point. So let's say you bought it at six fifty, just to pick a number. Um, that's a lot more to pay than if you bought it at the beginning of the year. Now you may not have been looking at it at the beginning of the year. You may not have had the cash. I'm not saying you should have. I mean, everything was cheaper right ten years ago. So it's not it's not me doing the hindsight thing and saying, well, I should have bought everything ten years ago. But it is a, a good example of how you can end up paying a lot more by waiting for the dips. Um, those people say, oh, I'll, buy, "I'll buy when the stock falls five percent." Well, if it goes up twenty percent in the meantime, guess what? You, you think you bought a discount, a bargain, but you've actually cost yourself a fortune. You're actually better off having bought at the twenty percent cheaper price and then going through a five percent discount at some future point, even though it feels a bit ugly, a bit painful, than actually waiting 
um, and then buying when it finally falls from some catastrophic level to, to, to something, sorry, astronomic level, it's not catastrophic, astronomic level to something a little bit cheaper, you were much, much better off buying when you thought it was good value. So I'm a big, look, if you if you like to treasure at a higher price and it falls, then absolutely buy more or buy some because, hey, if you liked it at, let's pick some numbers, $18 and it falls 10%, you're going to like it a whole lot more at sixteen twenty, right? So Absolutely, you know, if, if eighteen was a good price, sixteen twenty is a better price. As long as I said says nothing else has gone bad about the company, so that's definitely a good time to buy if you're going to. Anyway, discounts are always good, but the markets tend to rise more often than they fall. They tend to rise further than they fall. David Gardner, our co-founder and chief rule breaker, has said words to that effect. Doc, you can probably correct me on the exact quote, um, but that idea is still very true, right? So, generally speaking, across the market, investing earlier is better than investing later, as long as the value is obviously there. I wouldn't wait for a drop for its own sake. Um, by the same token, as I said, if you like it, hey, I think I, full disclosure, I own Treasury, and I think I did actually buy some more after it fell when the CEO resigned. I think that's right from me saying, I hope I'm not misremembering my trade. So I did exactly what Sam's talking about, but I wasn't waiting for it. I just thought, well, I guess I'll buy some more because it's now all of a sudden cheaper. I was going to say quick, some fun facts I would, I'm not, without getting getting into too much detail. So this, the Kogan that we both picked yes. is actually up. 107.8% from, lot, right? it is a lot. And we both picked it, so we are geniuses. So right? if our listeners were following along, congratulations, we've doubled your money for you and yes. you've paid exactly zero for this podcast, so congratulations. Congratulations, yeah. <laughs> um, I should ask, that. how's the rest of this lot? Are we, are we losing? Actually, we actually you know, that lot was such a, I'm, I'm handily beating you, I'll just let oh, you know. Uh, my average. Yeah, you would have mentioned unless you're yeah, I was just checking, <laughs> of course. But, but here's the deal, right? If anybody bought that 10 lot of 10 they would mm -hmm. be so miles ahead for all for free nice. um, um your average out of the four picks without going into the details again is 29.6 that is pretty I'll take that. pretty darn good Should have bought my own stock uh, exactly <laughs> <laughs> now, okay I'll, I'll, I'll ask the leading question because you've just told me you're doing better than me and you've given me a compliment so yeah. i'm obliged to say oh, so doc how did you go um 49 point oh. uh, 45.9 right, that is astonishing well done yeah, but, but, I mean, but I mean, irrespective of whatever Average you... Average that, 37 that, and a half or whatever that it is. is bloody hell good. <laughs> I think I can swear on the podcast. I mean, you can definitely. Wait, mate, with that sort of return, you can say whatever the hell you want on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. So so I think, you know, Kogan was brilliant. Uh, right. It was a brilliant price at that time, actually. It was like, you know, it almost looked like a... Now that with the benefit of hindsight, because it looked like a stonking winner. <laughs> We're obviously geniuses, that's right. Absolute winner. We knew that at the time, didn't we? Of course we we'll, we'll delete the old podcast in case we were expressing doubt and we'll just ask you to, to trust us. Ed. I was going to say, too, on, on this contrarian um, theory of you know buying buying low and, and see, seeing it rise, I yep. mean, look, you can also – I know we, we talk about investing in listed companies, right? That's, yes. That's what we do. That's what we do. We love it. But um, there's a lot of people out there. In fact, everybody who's working should have mm -hmm. a superannuation account. Mm -hmm. And – if you get some very basic advice, or at least look at the website of the super fund, you've got a number of options. They don't necessarily have to be in individual stocks, although there are some super funds that offer that as well. But right. uh, for a younger person or anyone, say, up to the age of 40, they could be in a higher growth option, which mm -hmm. generally is going to be listed equities anyway, across the board. So it's like a managed fund, but right. it's within your super. Hopefully, it's a low-cost super fund. Uh, now, look, a lot of these uh, super funds have unit prices, just like a stock price. Your pay goes in every fortnight or every mm -hmm. month. It's regular. It's compulsory. It's nine and a half percent of your salary, less than the fifteen percent tax. Mm -hmm. And it's going in. You, you're not, you're not going to miss it because you don't see it. But it's going into a super fund where you can invest this money in, in at least the equities class. And especially if you're younger, as I say, it's it's a it's a very good option for long term wealth generation. But the thing is, as unit prices fall, mm -hmm. as share markets across the the board 
reduce in value than so does the unit price, but your pay is going in every every fortnight, right? So you're going to be buying automatically every fortnight more and more units as the price falls, and you're going to buy uh, fewer units as the the price rises. But it, it evens out over the very long run. But every time there's a correction, you should be thankful that prices are actually cheaper because you're going to get it without knowing it at the time. You're going to actually get a, a better uh, return on that money simply by virtue of the fact that you're buying it at a cheaper price. It's the same with shares. You've got the complications with shares, of course, of having to know the business and understand it. But generally, everyone else can, everyone can, of course, buy stocks, but we've also got super. And of course, unless you're running a self-managed super fund and you're mm-hmm. just say you're in a regulated large fund, uh, you've got that option of uh, investing some of your money or all of your money in these higher growth, I wouldn't say higher risk, but higher growth options where they can grow your uh, capital over 5, 10 and, and many more years after that. Good advice. Before we finish off, one question from Dean. This might have come from Facebook, I think, Dean, if I'm correct if I'm wrong. And we're not going to answer this question now. Here's a bit of a tease because we're going to answer this on this week's Money Hacks. Come on, come this Tuesday. The question from Dean says, Hey, Scott and Doc, absolutely love the podcast and have learned a lot. Thank you. Can you tell me how you would set up a share trading account for a 10-year-old as I would like to start my daughter early into investing? Also, what is your view on Mesoblast as a long-term investment? Now, we're not going to talk about Mesoblast on the Money Hacks. It's a little bit too deep for that particular conversation. We'll ask about Mesoblast next week, Doc. But this week on Money Hacks, how to get started investing for kids. Whether you are a kid, like Fletcher, whether you have kids, whether you're going to have kids, whether you've got grandkids, nephews, nieces, sisters, brothers, if you want to help your love nearest and dearest get started investing, we're going to have that answer for you this week on Money Hacks. Now, before we go, one more announcement. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have an all-mailbag, all-the-time episode. I'm going to be in the US. Doc will be here, but I'll be in the US. So we're going to pre-record that one. Next week, we'll be doing a regular one. The one after, we'll be doing an all-mailbag edition. So please, send us your comments, your feedback, your suggestions. If you've got any criticisms, tell someone else. Uh, <laughs> kidding. Um, but if you've got any, any questions you want answered, any burning issues, any topics, anything you want to know more about, please hit us up. Here's the roll call of the socials. If you're on Facebook... Go to The Motley Fool Australia. Pretty straightforward. Or me, my account is Scott Phillips Money. That's my page. Search for Scott Phillips. You'll see me there. But Scott Phillips Money is the page. Facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money, I think, is the way it's listed. But anyway, you'll find it. If you are on Twitter, that's probably the best place because, you know, we can all chat in relative public and share some thoughts and feedback. You can hit me up at TMF Scott P. That's The Motley Fool at TMF Scott P. At Anirban Mahanti or at The Motley Fool AU. There are Twitter handles. Or if you're on Insta, Unlike Doc, you can hit me up again at TMF Scott P. And again, The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. They're all of our socials. Any of those will get to us. We'll find it. And if you need to or want to, you can use old school email. Remember the days when email was new and snail mail was old school? Now, email's old school. Email's not all about I'm getting old. Yeah, I'm getting old. Social dude. media. It's all about Slack. It is. Info at fool. Don't, don't slack us. Info at fool.com.au is a way you can get to our member support team and they will send out questions, your questions, our way. As I said, next week, normal episode with a couple of mailbag, probably. The week after that, massive, massive mailbag edition. Please send us your thoughts, questions, feedback, and suggestions. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Before we go, don't forget you can, and you should, subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating, leave us a review, tell your friends. More fools is a better world. You can also go to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. I won't do that. That's it for this week's Motley <laughs> Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. Fool on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.